0: Welcome to the Mogul Marathon Real Estate Podcast. We highlight keen investment insights and strategies so you can become a real estate mogul. Here's your host, Yannick Kujo-Virgil. Hey guys, welcome back to the Mogul Marathon Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Yannick Kujo-Virgil, and I'm super excited for our guest today. Our guest today is Ola Dantis. Now, Ola is the founder and CEO at Dwellin, a multifamily investment syndication firm. He and his partners have successfully sourced deals of over $40 million and has successfully closed deals in excess of $25 million, though Ola has only lived in the U.S. for a few years. Ola, thanks so much for being on the show. My absolute pleasure, Yannick. It's so
1: good to see you. I mean, we haven't seen you in person for a few years now. We used to have lunches and stuff in Baltimore. So thank you for having me on the show. Appreciate
0: it. Yeah, no, definitely. Thank you. So I know about your backstory. It's a different type of taste when you come from a different country. You know, I know that you come from humble beginnings and just seeing your growth and being able to create the portfolio and the life that you have created for yourself from being (laughs) across seas, right? Coming to the U.S., doing everything that you could to be where you are today. Give our listeners a little bit about you, your background and how you got to where you are today. 100% and thank you so much. I Actually, that's the favorite part of my
1: story that I like to tell because I remember listening to podcasts myself and then you listen to this person that has like a gazillion units of apartments. And they're telling you all about that. You just can't. Most people who are listening to podcasts cannot connect because it's like, I don't know how to connect to this guy. So I like to go back to the Genesis, right? Like how did this all start? So we moved here nine years ago now. Um, specifically um, my now wife, then um, girlfriend from the UK. Um, I'm originally from Nigeria, West Africa, Google it. We, quickly got into the, the American dream, right? Shortly thereafter, my wife and I, we got a job, you know, she got a job, we got an apartment, you know, life was good, but I had this you know, my wife would tell me all the time that we came to America with $200. Now I know the $200 was in her wallet. Um, that's why she knew that because I didn't have any in mind <laughs> for context. <laughs> she had all the money. She still does too today <laughs> anyways. <laughs> um, but we had a pretty good life, right? We were in a city called Columbia, Maryland. And um, for anybody, you know, in the DMV area, shout out. We had this fancy apartment and everything was great. But I had this constant urge of this is good. I'm not in America, the greatest country on the planet. That's a different conversation for a different day. I say that because I grew up in Africa as well. But I still feel like there's something else to be done. But I didn't know what that urge was, right? And I'm saying all of this for anybody listening. And you can relate and connect to this, right? You know, follow that urge, follow that exploration. If something is constantly just nudging you on your heart, don't disregard it, like probe deeper, right? Um, So anyway, I was just kind of trying to figure it out, but I couldn't quite figure it out. And kind of out of the blue, um, a friend of mine from the UK called me and said, "Hey, Ola, I've just started my business recently, um, but I need some help, kind of to rehug my business. Can you fly out to Dubai? I'm going to meet with some investors over there, but also you can kind of help me to kind of just help me with my business." So I did every what smart man does. I prayed about it, <laughs> and then I asked my wife. I mean, this was ages ago, probably six, seven years now. You know. This was before the pandemic where you could just, you know, get a Zoom call or whatever. This was Skype days. So my wife was like, why don't you Skype? Why do you have to get on the plane? I'm not just telling this story just to tell the story, okay? For anybody paying attention and listening to this conversation, what I'm basically saying is success never comes to you in a golden box and a red ribbon. It could be somebody calling you and say, hey, I want you to come check out this business. I want you to, so always as we're living our lives don't be mindless do not be mindless pay attention of course vision 2020 is always better so now i know that was a the call that changed my life i didn't know then it was just like an every other call i could i could even ignore that call right long story short my wife was like are you sure you want to go on this trip i was like well if i go and i'll learn something new let me just try it hopped on the plane went to dubai got to dubai just pretty standard trip. Not like the ones you see on Instagram. Like we didn't quad bike in the desert. We're just in a standard, I believe three-star hotel helping my, you know, my friend. Now I know that that is called masterminding at the time. I didn't know anything, (laughs) but we were basically masterminding on this business. And, you know, three days passed. I was on the plane back to the U S and I was like, Oh my goodness, I could do this in the United States. Like my friend is killing it in the UK buying property, which that's what we're calling the UK where I'm, where I'm from. And I was like, I could, I could buy you know, real estate in the, in the US. And I got back to the US and I was, you know, just, I went to my first best friend. Again, pay attention. Google, right? What is real estate? <laughs> real estate investing, right? I'm saying this because people say, yeah, but I don't know where to start. I don't. Google is where you need to start. That's your best friend. Not your best friend right now. Google is your best friend. I did that. This website kept coming up. It's called biggerpockets.com. I went there as well. Then I got plugged into their podcast. Again, a hack, pay attention, podcast. I started listening to the podcast. Of course, I'm nobody. So I started from the bottom. (laughs) I started listening from episode one, right? And every single guest mentioned this book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I was like, okay, let me go to my second best friend. Again, pay attention, Amazon. Went to Amazon, bought this book, read it so quickly. And this is how I could describe this, Yannick. I felt like my brain got an uppercut. (laughs) I was like, this guy who wrote this book stole my idea. Everything this guy has been saying is that thing I was thinking about before my Dubai trip. Like, is this all to life? I just go to work, come back home, do it again. Go to work, traffic, come back home, live in this fancy apartment and I die. I was like, oh, that's it? But when I read the book, I was like, oh, my goodness, there's so much more to do, like just the way you broke it down in that book. So two, three months later, after I read Richard Bordad and I got plugged into bigger pockets, I bought my first property, I like to say, in a Class A area in Baltimore, Maryland. Now, just for anybody paying attention, let's go back to the timeline. This is about almost two years to living in America. I didn't know anything about anything. Uh, I read some books. I got plugged into the podcast. I was able to, you know, put some money together with my wife and I. I'm not a lot because we live in the best country on the planet. I would debate anybody on any stage in the United States because this country lets you put 3% down on a property. I did not know that until I got plugged into Bigger Pocket. So I bought my first duplex in a place called Fells Point in Baltimore, Maryland, minutes away from John Hopkins. We moved into the bottom floor of that, of that duplex. We had tenants in the two tenants sharing the units upstairs. And the first month that we got rent, I remember like yesterday, Yannick, I got rent into my Bank of America. And I looked at my wife, I was like, oh my goodness, we got money from someone. I didn't have to put a gun to someone's head. I know, horrible joke. (laughs) It was amazing. It was amazing because yeah, we are, we were in the luxury apartment before we bought this duplex. Of course, in a luxury apartment, I didn't have to worry about property tax, of course. I didn't have to worry about the day I have to take out the trash. I didn't have to worry about any kind of bills. I didn't have to worry about the yard or whatever. That's good, but I was giving somebody cash flow. Now I know that. I didn't know that then, right? Mm -hmm. But now we have to leave the comfort of this beautiful luxury apartment in Columbia, Maryland, where I had my parking spot, but I had to move into the city, where we have to go around the block a few times to get one parking spot. I have to worry about property taxes because I now own the property. I have to worry about issues, like tenant issues. But in that stage of being uncomfortable, we're moving towards our goal. And I'm saying this again, pay attention for those listening, because we made that move, we changed our lives. So it's okay to be uncomfortable. Don't just think, I'm in this place right now in my life. I want to be comfortable. I don't want to, oh, I don't want to have to do that because then I'm going to have to leave and I'm going to leave my mom and move to a new city. And I, no, it's okay to be uncomfortable. That's actually the path to success. When you're being too comfortable, that's usually not a great thing, right? In terms of pathing your way to success. When I was discussing with my wife about the first payment check, we, we, you know, we got for rent. I told her, I was like, you know what? We moved from this luxury apartment to this, building. And now my bank of America account just keeps growing. It was like an epiphany. I was just telling my wife, you know, coming home from work, you know, doing what lovers do, you know, cooking, uh, and we just got talking. And I just, (laughs) I got you there, didn't I, Yannick? And I was just talking to my wife and my wife said the same. She's like, you know what, guess what, baby? I also have money in my account. So I'm like, wait, hold on a second. We were living in a luxury apartment. We did one thing, bought a duplex, 3% down. We got rent money. A few months into that, we started getting our money in our account kept moving up. I was like, so hold on a second. I'm not very smart. If we do this like two, three, four, five times, I don't think we have to, (laughs) I think we'll be very rich. (laughs) So I did the smart thing and bought a second duplex. No, I did not. I'm not very smart. Um, After that, even though I knew the duplex was working really well, I went into flipping, which in my opinion was not a good step for me.
0: I love the way that you're breaking down your story. So I think I know where you're going, but I'll let you kind of lead the floor, right? Why did you jump into flipping after you just got your rental check? Call it passive income, right? Why did you go into active income and flipping? I mean, you're answering the question for me. Thank you.
1: So Yannick, you've used like two amazing words, passive and active. Obviously at the time I didn't. I skipped the step too. So after the duplex, I realized that this was great. So intuitively, I knew it was a good idea. So I looked for a mentor. This is another topic as well. I looked for a mentor who would help me to buy bigger multifamily. So I joined that, a paid mentorship, one of the best mentors I think ever. I joined him, but then I realized that buying an apartment building was taking forever. Good things take forever, by the way. Good things take forever. So I met this guy in Baltimore. He's like, hey, Ola, we can start flipping houses down the street. We make $50,000. I was like, $50,000? I've never seen that in my life. Let's do that. (laughs) I don't want to be doing this, buying millions of dollars buildings. This takes too long. So I left my cohort, my guys buying apartment. I went from, you can argue passive into active, but I didn't know that at the time. So I could make $50,000, right? But then I did some flips in Baltimore, but then I hated it. Because I didn't do the exercise of knowing thyself. In this life, what works for Mr. A might not work for Mr. B. What works mm. for Mrs. A might not work for Mrs. B. You got to know thyself. You got to understand who you are, your temperament, what you like and what you don't like, right? We have to spend that time to think through that. That's why people people say, people say to me all the time, oh, my dad used to do real estate. He used to, he used to lose money. Well, maybe your dad didn't read a book. Maybe your dad didn't have bigger pockets that come at the time when he was doing it, right? So these are very important things. You know, my uncle said, real estate is bad. I'll do Bitcoin. That's fine, but pay attention, right? So for me, I didn't have the temperament because I'm a little bit of a perfectionist. So I'll go to all my projects in Baltimore at the time. I could walk to them from my house, right? you know, and then I'll go to them and I'll drive the contractors crazy. Like, oh no, the skirting is bad. And I, you know, it was, I would just drive them mad. And every time the city would come and inspect something and they would like, you know, fail me for something, I'll get all like distraught about it because my timeline is off. It was just like, but then a, when I finished all this project, I was like, oh, this is not even like the $50,000 I was promised. So I was like, this is a waste of time. So I went back to my multifamily cohort, my group, we have a is an actual group right and my friends were buying 100 unit buildings i was like oh my god but that took 2 years of my time so one of my favorite sayings that i made up for myself is in life there's always a price to pay and there are never any discounts you're always going to pay the full price and i did because i i missed out on like 2 years going to flip and i came back and everyone was like years ahead of me, but I don't care. I'm lucky enough. I meditate every single day. So I'm very aware that that's fine. Even though folks were ahead of me, it's okay. You know, and I was able to still, you know, do deals with them and, and catch up. And we can talk about all of that.
0: That's a great segue into talking about the deals. But before we move on, I think flipping houses is really just another job. And People don't really understand that until they actually get into the business and they do it and they do it and they do it. And some are okay with that. But like you said, you really have to know who you are as an investor. I tell people all the time I'm in real estate for generational wealth and cash flow. Cash flow today to go off and do what I need to do. If we want to take a trip here, if we want to spend lavishly on a vacation, we can do that. And then the generational wealth tomorrow, because this is the wealth that we're going to pass on for generations to come. And sometimes you just have to kind of stumble upon your own failures, right? Everyone's, you know, situation is going to be different. Everyone's trajectory is going to be different. But what made you? And I, and I know that you know the, the flipping didn't work. But talk a little bit about you know how you were able to land into the multifamily space specifically doing your first deal and. Moving up and doing more deals and kind of scaling up within your portfolio. Couple of things, partnerships—that's the one word. The
1: other thing I want to say before I before I forget is, we need to lose this sense of individualism. Our culture and, our, and just where we are—you know—we've got into a place where we think like, oh, I can do this by myself. That's fine if you're trying to like you know, I don't know, maybe flip a house down the street. Like, yeah, you you and your spreadsheet and your contractors running around. But when you try to buy multi-million dollar properties, there's no by myself. It doesn't exist. It's like literally impossible. Even to close on a deal, you have attorneys, you have title people, you got, you know, it's just like a whole, every time I close on a deal on a multi-million dollar deal, just look at the email thread. It's like 15 emails. (laughs) Like you're not supposed to do this by yourself. So I think that's the first thing. Maybe we're not taking enough time to talk about with folks that are thinking of getting into this business or just like larger projects, whatever that is for you. It could be real estate, it could be whatever. Just It's like basically saying Elon Musk can build the SpaceX rocket by himself. That's kind of how it sounds like. It's not a one-man job. So when you start to retune your mind to get comfortable with that concept that this is not about me, this is a team effort. I actually need people. I need to rally people that's when you start to, it's like a mind thing Yannick, right? It's almost like you don't know your brain is doing that to you. It's almost like your brain is one person and you're like another person, but you need to make sure that you're always in line with what you're trying to achieve. And then you're trying to bring your brain along on that journey. This is very important stuff, pay attention. So for me, number one, after the flip, I got back to my cohort so I partnered with the guys that were already buying apartments apartment and say, hey, guys, you know, I want to join on your next deal. What can I do to be a part of your deal? And they tell me, well, you do this and do that, and you can come on. So I got my first deal done that way. There's 116 units in Houston, Texas. At the time I was in Baltimore, I was able to get on that deal. Then I came to Houston to kind of look at the deal, and I was like, oh, I like this um, city. This is a pretty nice city, and which started the journey of moving from Baltimore, Maryland, to texas right don't forget i'm from the uk so I, <laughs> I didn't know what to expect right but i spoke to my wife again and say hey um, i want you to quit your job um in baltimore and move everything oh yeah by the way you're pregnant and we have a two-year-old but it doesn't matter we'll move everything you know from baltimore to houston texas and she looked at me and she said okay I always ask my wife, how do you even trust me (laughs) to make these decisions? But I think she, you know, she just does and it works out. But anyway, we packed up by this time. We had like two, we still do have properties in in Baltimore to this day. And we moved over. Now, I'm not just saying this to tell a story. (laughs) I'm speaking to someone listening on this podcast and you keep telling yourself yeah, but I'm in New York City, There's, there's there are no deals here. Or I'm in California, there are no deals here. Or I'm in Wyoming and there are no deals here. Go to where the deals are. If you're someone that wants to make money from potatoes, you would most likely move to Idaho. If you're in oil and gas, you would move to Houston, Texas. If you're in tech, you will move to Austin. i never say California because <laughs> um, <laughs> you're smart. Or maybe California, right? If you're going to afford the real estate, right? What am I saying here? Be aware of positioning, location and positioning is part of the success recipe. That is key. I don't think we're telling a lot lot of young people that yet. If you're trying to be in the movie industry, you're not going to go to Montana. You're going to go to California, (laughs) right? They're going to say, I'm trying to pursue my my actress and then move to California. You never hear anybody saying, oh, I'm trying to pursue my acting career. So now I'm going to move to idaho no they don't do that so why do we do that for real estate if you feel like there are no deals in new york city why are you living there oh my mom is there my dad is there that's true but you can always see them you can fly as many much time as you want when you start to make money so that's very key so i made a choice to move my family my young family my pregnant wife to texas two months before the pandemic anybody still following the timeline so now we're in 2020 Two months before the pandemic, obviously, I'm not a clairvoyant. I did not see that it would have been the pandemic and the whole world was shut down. But we moved to it just two months before, January of 2020. Between then and now, my business has just totally exploded. That's why I'm talking about this positioning of location a lot. Now, again, remember me. I'm the guy that says, what works for Mr. A doesn't work for Mr. B. I'm not saying this works for everybody. But make sure you're paying attention to that. Don't disregard it. Don't just say, oh, I, you know, uh, I'm going to try to find a deal here. Yeah, you know, even though I'm in California and you don't have, you know, $3 million to buy a duplex, right? It just doesn't make sense, right? So after I got here, the world shut down. I'm going back to Yannick's question for anybody still following. How did I get into this game? Like, how did... so I partnered on a few deals in the beginning, helped some other guys, right? Now I'm going to how I made Sure that I got my own deals done. I moved, number one, if you're paying attention. Number two, I showed up. What does that mean? So on your way to building wealth, you actually appreciate that it's all about other people and network. It's not about your own share brute force. You're not going to raise a million dollars or $10 million because because you're going to just go hard. It doesn't matter. (laughs) That's not how it works. It's your network of people. So I showed up to a conference and I met one of my partners, right? So I literally bumped into that partner at that conference and now we're doing deals together. So if you're listening to this and you might go, well, all I I can't buy, you know, multi-million dollar deals. I don't know any rich people. Guess what? Welcome to the club. (laughs) Neither did I, (laughs) okay? Neither did I. But you got to show up. You got to position yourself. So number one, position yourself. Number two, show up. Go to all the meetups, go to all the networking events. Don't say to yourself, I don't want to wear a suit. I don't want to wear the suit. When I first got to Houston and I meet brokers, those are the people that get you deals. I wear a suit. Now you might go, oh man, you're just a seller whatever. Don't let your brain tell you that stuff. Wear the suit. Why? Because when you meet a person, their brain doesn't have enough time to say, oh, this guy is a good guy. He's going to buy this. deal." No, they are just looking outside. So wear the suit, go to the conference, go to the meetups, meet with the people. And then the last thing I'm going to say is do the work, do the freaking work. What I've learned in this country, been here for nine years, you're going to work. It's as simple as that. You're going to have to put in the work. The system is designed for those that want to put in the work. Now, you might disagree. I get it. But I'm saying that because I grew up in Africa, in Nigeria. In Nigeria, you can put in the work all you want; you might not get nothing. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so if you're listening to this, that's what I'm telling you. In Nigeria, where I'm, if you don't believe me, go there, try it. You might put in the work, and you might not. And this is my country; I love my country too, where I was born. But I'm just saying that on a, on a public platform. But in countries like this, the system has been designed relatively well, where if you go like all the time, you put in an effort, something will spit out on the other side. So that is like number one, like you know, the recipe. So. I met with my partners, believe it or not, you might call this, you know, God, universe, whatever. But when I bumped into that partner at that conference, guess where they wanted to invest? This is after I moved to Houston. They're like, we have been looking for somebody in Houston. We have been looking for somebody. I was like, guess what? I just moved there. (laughs) (laughs) I just moved there. So if I didn't move, if I didn't go to that conference, these are like permutations, right? If I didn't move, if I didn't go to that conference, even if I didn't move, but I went to that conference and I bumped into that person and they're like, where are you finding deals?" And I'm like, both of They're like, okay, bye. That's not the market of interest. We bought our first deal the year after that bump that I bumped into the person. This is all like online. We bought our first deal in Houston, Texas. This is after, you know, the pandemic, you know, was kind of getting better. So we bought our first deal
0: just from those two moves. Man, that's a great story. And successful people know how to create their own destiny, and that's essentially what you've done. You know, we live in a time where deals are hard to find. Certain industries and certain spaces, uh, specifically, you know, we're talking multifamily right now. It's tough to find deals, but I'm sure taking your entire family, even like you said, when your wife was pregnant <laughs> and moving them from Baltimore, Maryland, to Houston. Number one was. You know, definitely probably not an easy move, right? It's not easy to just take your entire life and just move to a different state. But just believing in yourself is something that you can use to push you to the other side, you know? And I think there's a ton of value in that and just creating your own opportunity. Because some people might just sit back and say, oh, well, I can't find any deals. I guess this business doesn't work for me. But positioning yourself, like you said, and creating your own opportunities is part of the mogul marathon, right? Love it. It I is part it. of being able to get to the top because you just never know how things are going to play out. You know, you might just be in the right place in the right time. And in your case, you were in the right place in the right time. And that person was looking for someone in Houston to partner up with. And it just so happened that you guys did a deal a year and a half later. And then another one a few months later. (laughs) Exactly. Right. So, I mean, that's, man, that's just a a great, great example of the power of just creating your own destiny.
1: I love how you didn't title your podcast, The
0: Mogul Sprint. I wonder (laughs) why. I love it. This game, man, it's specifically in the world of real estate, private equity. I mean, real estate is a a long-term game, but, Real estate private equity is a longer game, specifically if you don't come from a background of high net worth individuals who are able to just cut you a million dollar check and you can just go off and kind of run with it. For the average person, real estate private equity is a grind. It's a lot of work. It's a space where you have to kiss a lot of frogs and work your way to the top. And when you're able to kind of break that ceiling, it's a whole different world that you're exposed to. Yeah, you're gone when you break that ceiling, yeah. It's a tough business, but just your perseverance and your hard work and your work ethic is just, like I said, a testament to where you are and, and how'd you get to, you know, where you are today. 100%. Hey, listen up. If you're an employee, business owner, or professional athlete with money in the bank earning 0% return, and you're thinking about passively investing in real estate, Well, you need to check out our ultimate syndication guide for passive investors. This free guide absolutely covers everything you need to know about passively investing in real estate syndication or just real estate in general. If you want access to this valuable resource, go to merlinacquisitions.com slash passive guide to download the free syndication guide for passive investors. That's M-E-R-L-Y-N-N acquisitions.com slash passive guide or head over to the show notes and click the link to download. Now let's get back to the show. Let me back up a little bit. You know, were there any challenges that you ran into when you were transitioning into multifamily or working on growing your firm or when you got to Houston, you know, talk a little bit about maybe some challenges in the world of private equity that you've ran into as you kind of grew your business. A hundred percent. Number one, I'm going to like just throw it out there. So there are two things
1: I do in my business. Yeah, a dwelling our firm. We find deals and we find equity. So I'm saying that to answer your question, right? Number one challenge, and there are two schools of thought here. Some people say, find the deals and the money comes. I would never believe in that school of thought. I'm more than happy to debate anybody on any stage, anywhere in the world on that. Based on my experience, that's not the case for the most part, because I've found many great deals and the money came not from the people that, that told me that it would come from. Different conversation for a different day. So finding equity continues to be a challenge. Things are getting a lot better now as obviously I'm getting, you know, more deals done, but it's still there. The other challenge for me personally is just how do you go from this stage to the next, right? You, I mean, before you hit record, we're talking about vertical integration. That's one of the reasons I moved to Houston. Um, so I think an ongoing challenge is how to scale one's business. I'm now looking at hundreds of millions of dollars of deals. Like how can I get to that spot? But I want to just make sure, because anybody listening in the car, probably, you know, maybe they'll roll their eyes right now. It's not a mindless pursuit of money. This is not about that. I want to make that crystal clear. I'm not doing this for the red Lambo or the Ferrari so I can post it on Instagram. You know, there's more to this. So I think there's also a big problem is, you know, people are maybe going in some of these things, just, you know, a mindless pursuit of money. That's not what we're doing here. So for me, is how can we grow the firm into a fully-fledged firm at a number that we want to be at. So that's kind of like an ongoing uh, mental quagmire that I have when I go back and forth. People ask me, do you want to get into the billions? I'm like, "Eh, don't know. Uh, Maybe hundreds of millions in assets under management. is kind of the units we use um, in the multifamily um, you know syndication world um, so that's kind of like the ongoing should I say challenge uh, but other than that it's just kind of equity but now I'm speaking to family offices I'm speaking to I, you know all throughout I network groups that now want to speak to me but in the beginning I mean even still now it's still a challenge I, I want people to be acutely aware of that it's not you know like you get a deal and then like people start throwing you money from the sky. That's just, I haven't seen that. If you have, please let me partner with you on the next deal.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The equity portion is what a lot of people, and that's what we've struggled with, you know, getting into this space as well Is does the equity portion for the deals. Yeah. You can get the debt. No problem. Yeah. That's the most important part. And that's where people start to hit a ceiling on. And then, you know, once you kind of tap into those sources, then you can excel your business But more importantly, too, I think in this level, in this space, it's my opinion that the ones who are able to have some sort of vertical integration as well are the ones who are able to cut costs to win deals and also be attractive to larger equity sources, specifically institutional investors, institutional capital who are looking for those operators to partner up with and specifically kind of look for people or businesses that have the vertical integration, specifically the management companies as well. They like to see operators that have control within their investment outcomes. And when you have management companies that you can oversee, and they're not managing other people's properties, right? They're focused on your properties. There's a certain level of perfection to some degree that you can pass on to those employees, right, to get to that level of outcome that you desire on your property or to get to that level of management that you desire. Because when they're focusing on other people's properties, you know, (laughs) it's It's different. It's it's just different. And then same thing on the construction side too, right? When someone's focused on your properties, it's totally different than when they're focused on someone else's. So what are your thoughts on that? I mean, so it's kind of
1: like, you know, people talk about different ways, right? Like, do you want to get to a thousand units before you go vertically integrated as a firm? Or do you want to start from scratch? I think it's just different for everyone. Like right now we're doing both. We've got assets that are exclusively managed by a third party property management company. And just so folks know on the debt piece, if you get a debt from one of the agencies like Freddie Mac or Fannie Mae, they would actually mandate you to have a third-party property management company. Yeah, I'm not going to say that's the sole reason why we have that, but we do have both. I think for us personally, the goal is to be vertically integrated. But when we think the time is right, um, at this point, we're still in a very aggressive growth mode, so we're not, you know, pursuing that path just yet. Uh, maybe when we get to critical mass, whatever that number is, I don't, I don't know if it's a thousand units. I don't know if it's 5,000, then we can start thinking about that. But one big thing for me at Dwelling is I want to keep the company like really what I like to call small, lean and mean. Lean and mean. I don't envision the company with like thousands of employees running up and down. I don't really see that. I see us as a development firm that will be really lean and mean. I don't mean 10 people. I don't mean a hundred, but whatever that number is, but Really strong team, and we're taking down you know hundreds of millions of deals, um, and development deals. And then we're still very connected to our families, and we spend quality time. i um, following a research right now in the UK where they are trying to um, see how the four day week would go. You know, where people just work for four days. I know that's probably frowned upon in the United States. <laughs> But, you know, those are things that mean something to me where people can actually spend time. I mean, we all felt that during the pandemic, like, oh, wow, you know, my God, like some people's lives were just a lot richer because they spend more time with their wives and their husbands and spouses and kids. So that's a big thing for me. So just to answer your question, yeah, I want to make sure that we have a balance because property management is a thankless job for anybody that doesn't know. It's a lot of, it's like when we say a lot of work, um, it's like times five. We know because we are doing that right
0: now as well. So it's a lot of work. Totally agree, man. Specifically in the multifamily space, property management is one of the more management intensive assets as opposed to, let's say, single net retail, right? Or just even call it a shopping mall, right? Yeah. Because when you're in the multifamily space, you're dealing with people it's a people's business and people come up with excuses people do dumb stuff at your properties when you're at some of these retail assets you're dealing with businesses and they have a business to deal with on a daily basis and and they're not acting up at their properties right or their spaces so 100% agree it's a totally different management ball game yes so talk a little bit about your you know your deals right now you know you've had ton of experience in this space you know scaling your portfolio to over 25 million you know mm-hmm. give the listeners today a little bit about you know maybe a deal that went well where you were able to create some equity on it and you know turn the deal into something that is going to be accretive for your investor base
1: yeah so um with all humility all of our deals meet that benchmark i just got a deal <laughs> two months ago so i can't say that for that deal yet because it's just um really early stages for that asset and the uh, the life cycle. However, I can use a deal we bought last year. It's 178 units. It's north of Austin, Texas. It's in the market called Killeen. Um, it's a big uh, military based there, um, for Hood. So we bought that property, um, you know, last year. And then, you know, we've pretty much had a lot of equity. Um, let's call it 5 million plus. But that doesn't just come out of nowhere. I like to say that. It's not, I don't want people to listen to that part and be like, oh, wow, you can just, you know, buy something and not do any work. And no, that's not what we're doing here. <laughs> Multifamily assets are evaluated and evaluated on the actual income the money you collect from rents so the quickest way to increase the value is through the noi which is the net operating income so we've done a lot of work in terms of deploying capex dollars and sorry if i'm using jargons it just means we've spent money to fix up the property as a matter of fact we've done you know extensive work on that asset In turn, as a return of that, we've gotten better rents. Also, when we bought the property, which was last year, there was a lot of migration from Austin into neighboring cities, including our city, Clean. So that has helped people to be able to afford the rents that we were charging. So that significantly increased the value of that property, right? So we've done a pretty good job. My team and I, you know, the partners, the general partners, we were just three of us. We've done, you know, a lot of work, to make sure that, you know, that asset is doing pretty well um, in a short space of time. And I think to add to that, so that's number one. But number two, it's also, you know, just if you look at the multifamily trend in the past few years, it's just been doing really well. You know, surprisingly, or maybe not unsurprisingly, actually, the pandemic really helped, right? When, you know, the world was shut down, people had to stay in their apartments. So that meant that our product had more value in the marketplace, and um, we could charge more rent, and people had to pay that rent because they had to stay in the house, right, in the apartments. So I think that's helped as well. And um, we've had a good run with multifamily as an asset class for the past few years. I think now we're getting to a space in the market where things are starting to maybe correct a little bit. The inflation doesn't help. The war in Ukraine hasn't helped, <laughs> but I think we get into a better spot at least gas prices have gone down. So I think the economy is, though, taking a turn. Is it's, it's um, maybe it's a needed one
0: actually. Some really good stuff there. And that's the beauty about real estate too, right? Is being able to take advantage of an asset where you get the best of both worlds. You know, you get the to ride the market when the market is hot. You know, for example, when we were talking when interest rates were super low, there were yep. properties that were trading at phenomenal prices that I wish that I was I was the seller on some of those properties. So then, when the market turns, you're still able to protect yourself as an you know an inflation hedge you're still able to be in an asset that is in demand you know housing across America is just outrageous right now prices people are outpriced rents are going up, and it's a beauty to be on the positive and on that, on that side right yeah as a real estate owner as the rents go up you know I, I really love this real estate business because it's the perfect opportunity to protect the capital against both sides of the coin. Right. So what was a a situation on a deal? Maybe that, you know, there was something that went wrong because a lot of times people like to talk about the good things that happen on properties. Right. And you see things on Instagram where uh, people show, Hey, I just sold this property for X, but a lot of times people don't talk about their failures or people don't talk about the issues on the property which is where I think a lot of our listeners would love to learn more about how to push through some of those items within the real estate space today. Right. So talk about maybe something that happened within the asset management part of, you know, um, some of the properties that you've acquired where something has gone around wrong and you were able to kind of push through and get to the other side within the business plan. I'll give you a fresh one. I'm just, you know, weeks fresh, right? I just bought this
1: property. Um, it's a fantastic asset. Um, you know, just kind of an hour from Houston. Yeah. And you know, one of the major things with the property when we bought it was there was a high concentration of plant workers and there's nothing wrong with that. But the problem is they can just up and leave anytime. One of the issues we're now starting to see on that asset is some people will just leave the keys at the lease under the map of the leasing office and just go. So we're having to call them and say, uh, hi, this is not a hotel. You just don't, <laughs> you have a lease, you know? And then it's like, "Ah, oh, well, I don't know if I have a lease, like, I'm not sure. I'm like, so you've been living in a, a property and you don't have any paperwork. So it looks like perhaps maybe the, I don't want to, you know, say it, like, we don't know what's happening, but I just want to give you like an example of what we're facing I'm on a real life deal. And we just have to kind of walk through that with the resident and say, hey, yes, we understand, but we do have a lease, which I'm sure you have. Well, you you also do. You just decide to lose it right now. <laughs> and then we're not going to charge you, you know, the remainder of the lease. We're going to come up with a solution with you and work with you, even if it's a month rent, so you can give us notice. So yeah, to kind of go back to what you said, you know, of course, anybody that isn't a successful business um, would understand that they are always hiccups. If you're not having hiccups, then you're not in business. You're, you're, you're mm-hmm. in something else.
0: Um, <laughs> a lot of times, like I said, on Instagram, people like to make things, social media, people like to make things so glamorous, right? Can you repeat that one more time?
1: <laughs> I think that is a major, major blind spot. Like I've got two young girls. I would not want them to grew up in a world where we've just glamorized everything. I always laugh, like people reach out to me on Instagram, like I want to do what you're doing. And I'm like, are you sure? Because you must think what I do is I drive in my Bentley or on a better day, I'll take the rose royce and I park at the back. And as soon as I come into my office, they're like, you know, just chilling, just going, hola, hola, you're going to make a lot of money. Like, what do you think I do? Like my day is spreadsheets, looking at deals, on the writing deals, speaking to investors, like it's just work. Now, what do I enjoy about my, you know, about my role as an entrepreneur? I like the uncertainty. I like the hard stuff, right? I like development. I like to take a project from nothing, you know, and bring it up. Like I like to see a property that we buy and turn it around. I like to see, you know, my investor projections saying we can get, you know, 1200 in rent, even though the rent at the time was 800. And then, you know, years later, I see that we've surpassed all our investor returns. That's what I enjoy. Like, it's not this private jetting vacation, you know, 10 times a year post. It's very dangerous. And I think not to kind of get off topic on your podcast, I think that's also a source of depression for young people because they're seeing all on the screen this curated life of people. And they're thinking my life isn't that, but that's okay. That should not be your life. Like <laughs> like your life should be your life. You shouldn't look at somebody else's life and kind of take that out or feel like that should be your own. That, what works for Mr. A does not work for Mr. B. We can have a whole podcast on that. And I think that's a big problem and a source of anguish, I think for a lot of people sometimes, um, unfortunately, deeply rooted in people. They don't even know why they're not happy. Well, if you're on Instagram for like five hours a day, you, yeah, it's going to get to you. Right. So I think it's very important for folks to understand that being an entrepreneur is hard, but then it's fun, but it's not for everybody. That's why most people are not entrepreneurs. And that's okay too. You know, that's okay too. But when you choose that path, be okay with the fact that it could be hard, but it's a lot better and it's what you want. It's your passion. It's, you know, what you want to do with your life that you have here and hurt and that's okay. And if it's not beautiful blue Maldives pictures of vacation and you jet setting, that's okay too. Maybe it's waiting for you in 10 years. Be patient. Don't be in a rush. I have too many young guys come to meet me here in my office in Katy, Texas, and say to me, "Oh, I wanna, I wanna be like you." I wanna. I'm like, "What do you think I am? Like, I, I just work out every day. Like, I work hard. It hurts in my head. Whatever you think this is, is not what it is."
0: Yeah, man. It's the perception of of social media, right? And the perception of of success. I think glamorizes. Or doesn't show what things really are in the world of real estate, specifically if you're on the active real estate side in real estate, private equity, and you're you know maybe on the operational side or just even on the active side in general. It's a lot of work and there are opportunities for you to create the financial freedom and the flexibility that real estate offers. But on the back end side, for the most part, people are working hard <laughs> and not just on a boat or on a beach all day. Who wants to do that anyways? Yeah. I mean, some people do. You just never know. Man,
1: you're going to get some, you're going to get some salt just sitting, just sitting on that boat all day. Just, yeah.
0: So you've been in this business for quite some time now and you have a ton of experience, you know, from starting off with your first property all the way to creating a portfolio you have today. If you were to start this marathon over again, you know, what would you do differently? that you think would contribute to your success today?
1: You know, I'm so thankful to God. I'm so grateful for my life and life for my, you know, my family and my girls and my wife. Like, I don't think I'll change anything, to be honest with you. There are things that, of course, like I won't do flipping out of the boat. I think it's going so well. I don't think I'll do. I mean, one thing I would probably tell my younger self is be patient, you know, and that's what I still tell my now self right? Like be patient, you know, and I say this with all love, but I'm light years ahead of my father. Light years. I could actually argue with anybody living in 2022 right now that they are light years from a technological perspective from their predecessors. Think about it. Our parents had to like in the past, are to write letters, out yeah. to facts. I could reach out to Beyonce right now on Instagram. She probably wouldn't reply, but I could do that. I could reach out to whoever is on Twitter, the president of the United States, whoever. Today, people have to, like, really think about that, right? So this space of equanimity and experiencing now sometimes gets lost in the noise. We need to get back to that. You know, just me and you discussing and, and, like, you know, talking after a while. I mean, the last time I saw you, we had coffee, I think, with your friend, and just, like, Just enjoying the now. I know people go, yeah, but I'm broke. Yeah, but it's okay. Like you can still enjoy the now. Don't be in a rush to be rich too. Like enjoy whatever is now, whatever the space is that you're in, be a good steward of that space and time because some people are actually deprived of that because they died yesterday. Yes, heavy, I know, but think that way. Maybe that would help you like wake up. Like you have that space and time, soak it in
0: that's powerful man that's powerful and it's easy to not be in the now with everything moving so fast and and easily being able to like compare your life against someone else's life but like you said you know light years away from your dad i would say i'm light years away from my mom i've earned more in my 29 years on this earth than what my mom has earned in, in her lifetime and that's the little things that we have to pay attention to and like really recognize that Patience is all that's really needed to give you that peace a lot of times when you might be thinking, man, I, I suck today. There's some days that I wake up and I'm just like, man, I, I don't feel too good. Or, you know, the day ended and I'm just like, man, I, I suck today.
1: If we wake up any one of us and we go, oh, man, today's not a day. You know what I suggest? Go for a run or a walk. I know it sounds like stupid and like simple. I, I bet you money get out of the house, go for a run, go for a walk quickly. Just do that right away. Or one thing that has worked for me that I want to share with everyone is I meditate. Now, somebody is about to roll their eyes again, like, oh, meditate. What does that mean? It just means you just sit there and you follow your breath. We have been taught or we have been influenced to think that meditation is you sit down and you do, um, and you cross the leg. No, no, not true. Not true. You said something just now, Yannick. You were like, everything is going so fast. So imagine you could just stop for 10 minutes and just focus on your breath. But then you focus on your breath and then your mind says, what am I going to eat for breakfast? And then you come back, focus on your breath. And you go, oh, I got to do that thing. Come back to your breath. Oh man, this is stupid. Come back to your breath. Just do that for 10 minutes every day. And I bet anybody listening to this, come back, email me, Instagram me and tell me if I'm just try it. And there's an app that I discovered. It's called 10% app here. I'm not selling anything. It's just, you know, Google it. I think they have a free trial and just follow that stuff. Like those are things that, you know, like growing up in Africa, we don't do this stuff. Like, what are you talking about? Oh, it's crap, you know, but <laughs> if you're trying to be wealthy, you got to do things that you've never done. Guess what? You're not wealthy because you're doing the same thing you've always done. Pay attention.
0: Yeah. Really, really powerful stuff there. So Ola, if, you know, our listeners want to follow you, want to invest with you, you know, what's the best way for them to, to be in contact or, or follow you in your journey?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty ubiquitous online, Facebook, Instagram, everywhere, everywhere. I'm there. Wherever you are, I'm there. Um, I think I'm on TikTok. I don't post, but I'm there. But I think an easy one is investwithola.com and that will redirect folks to dwelling, which is the shirt I'm wearing right now uh, folks on the video and then yeah you can just reach out to one you know some of my team will reach out to you or i'll reach out whoever gets the message and um, but also like instagram everyone's on instagram so just like you know dm me just slide in there and then just say you have on, you know on the mogul marathon i love to talk to folks i don't sell anything yet like a course so i don't want your money i make too much money without humility of course um but yeah just reach out and then we can talk
0: That's perfect. Well, Ola, thank you so much for being a guest on our show. I mean, we talked a lot about your journey, you know, your decision to jump into the multifamily space, some challenges that you went through, um, some issues that you've dealt with. We talked about private equity struggles. I'm sure that uh, our listeners today got a ton of value out of all the things that you talked about today. So thank you so much for being on our show. Thank you to the listeners for tuning into today's episode of the mogul marathon real estate podcast take action be great today and remember that real estate is a marathon not a sprint run your own race thanks again Ola. thank you sir